Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Thanksgiving is one of those great times to remember everything that you have that you should be thankful for. Maybe it was welcoming a new little one to the family this year, or a raise, or a new job opportunity. Or maybe it was the tough times that God has gotten you through so far this year, just to name a few things. But if you're like me, you you might also think of some of the ways that you weren't exactly as thankful as you should have been for some of those things. And for me, there is one particular day that's seared into my memory where I didn't show thanks as I should have. It was my high school graduation party. And I had a family friend who took a lot of time and energy and made me this really awesome card box. She had wrapped it in sparkly red paper, which was my high school's color. And she had put all sorts of stickers on it to represent all the different things that I had been a part of in high school. Basketballs, footballs, music notes. But there was one thing that I really didn't like about that box. She put baseballs on it. I had played baseball my first years of high school, but I wasn't great at it. I didn't think it was a big part of who I was in high school. And so I complained about it. And that family friend heard my complaints, and it really hurt her. I thought on that day, everything was about me. Everything should be exactly as I wanted it to be, because I'm so great. And it wasn't until my parents called me out on it that I realized how small of a sinner I actually was. But tonight, we get the exact opposite example in David. Unlike what I did, David responded to God's love in the right way, giving humble thanks. And so I want to help you see yourself the way that David saw himself. On this Thanksgiving Eve, open your eyes See your smallness and see God's greatness. Coming up to this point in 2 Samuel, David had just become the sole king of Israel by capturing and creating a new capital in Jerusalem. And now that David finally has a moment of peace and stability, he looks around at where he is. In this beautiful palace built with beautiful cedar. And all of a sudden he realizes and remembers where the Ark of the Covenant was, the symbol of God's own presence. It was in a tent. And so David thinks to himself, well, I want to build a temple. I want to build a house for God's presence that is even greater than my own home, than my own palace. But God, through the prophet Nathan, told David that he had other plans for him. No, David, you're not going to build a house for me but I'm going to build a house for you. It was a promise for Israel to have a peaceful home and a promise that God himself would establish David's home and throne forever. And the section that we read for tonight from 2 Samuel is David's response to that promise. And so he starts by looking into the past at everything God had done to bring him up to this point. God had chosen David out of eight brothers, him being the youngest, just a shepherd. And God chose him to be the next king of Israel. God blessed David with victory when he went toe-to-toe with Goliath, the giant champion 
of Israel's enemy, the Philistines. God had saved David's life time and time again when the last king, King Saul, tried to kill him time and time again. And now God had allowed David to bring that Ark of the Covenant, his own presence, into Jerusalem. What great love God had shown to David. And now David turns his focus from the past to that future promise that God gave him. And if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. On top of bringing David to this point in his life, God gave David that rare glimpse into his future. And the fact that God would give him such a wonderful promise just blows David's mind. Not only was this a promise of continued political success on earth, it was a promise that David's throne would last forever through an eternal king, that promised savior who would come from his own family. What a privilege for David. What an honor. And in light of all these things, David looks at himself and suddenly realizes just how small he was. Who am I? What is my family? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. David, filled with awe, is left speechless. You've brought me to this point? You made such a great promise to someone as small as me? And the only thing David can give at that moment is humble thanks. And when you follow David's example on this Thanksgiving Eve, as you see all of God's abundant blessings to you, you too will see your own smallness. But understanding that smallness happens in one of two ways. Either you see your smallness as magnifying God's greatness to you, like David's approach, or you see your own smallness and you fall into despair over it. And when that happens, you say the same exact things that David said, but with a different attitude. Who am I? What a stinking sinner I am. God couldn't possibly want to bless someone like me. What more can I say? I can't even defend myself. The only thing I can do is admit my thanklessness for the numerous gifts God has given me. You know your servant. You know all of the ways that I've screwed up your blessings, God. But how would God answer those statements about you? Who are you? You're my child, whom I love. What more can you say? There's nothing you need to say. It's done. I've saved you. It's finished. I know my servant. I'll never forget you. And that promise to David, that that future descendant, was Jesus. God himself taking on flesh to be one of us. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us exactly why he did that. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus came down to earth to know me, to be like me, to save someone as small as me 
from the power of sin, death, and the devil so that I could know him and his promises for me. His promise to forgive all of my thanklessness. And so now we know that our smallness doesn't come from despair over sin, but it comes from seeing God's greatness and giving him humble thanks. And understanding that smallness is just the first step in seeing even more how great God himself is. So if David describes himself as such a small person, why would God give him such a great blessing? David himself answers that question. For the sake of your word. God had promised thousands of years ago that he would send a promised savior that would save all of mankind. And we know that God doesn't break his promises. And so now God is repeating that promise and he's also further revealing a new part of that promise. And David also says, it was according to your will. God chose to give David this special privilege of being a part of that promise for no reason other than his love. David knew that he didn't earn this privilege because he had been such a great king who earned that promise from God, but because God himself wanted to make David great. And I know it might be a little early in the season to bring up Christmas, but I want you to think of the most meaningful Christmas gift that you have ever received. Take a minute and think about that. When you opened that gift, how did it make you feel about the person who gave you that gift? I'd imagine you were filled with love and thanks that you couldn't really even put into words. But I'm also sure that you can remember some of those Christmas gifts that were a little easier to forget about, like the card with 10 bucks or a new pair of socks. You know, you appreciate those things. It's, it's nice, but it doesn't show quite as much thought as something more meaningful. You could put it this way. The greater the gift, the greater the giver. God's promise to David that the promised Savior would come from his own family was the greatest thing that David could have ever received. And David sees this greatness and he comes to his final conclusion. Only someone who is so great could give me such a great blessing. And at that point, David can't even contain himself anymore. How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you. David had heard it. And now he experienced it firsthand. God is great. If only we always followed David's example and gave God all the glory all the time. But being who we are, we sometimes love switching those roles around. I'm so great, God's so small. It's satisfying to think that I played some major part in earning the blessings that I have right now. My hard work, my time spent, my ideas, my careful planning. It's the American dream. Your hard work equals your success. And when everything is going good, we love to take all the credit for it and let God fall into the background. 
but then God might take those blessings away from you in spite of your hardest work to keep them. God pulls the chair out from under us so that we fall back to reality. I didn't earn those gifts. In fact, I never even deserved them in the first place. And God doesn't do this because it gives him a sense of pleasure or just to prove some point to us. But in that shocking and sudden realization of our own smallness, God wants us to take our eyes off of ourselves so that we can focus on his greatness. God has shown us greatness in the very same promise he made to David. A promise that he fulfilled a thousand years later in the outstretched arms of Christ on the cross. It was that promise which enabled us to see God's glorious victory. In the eyes of humans, it was a lowly defeat. But we know that from God's view, that was the most glorious victory possible. And God always intended for that sacrifice of Jesus to be his greatest demonstration of love and blessing towards mankind. And now God makes sure we never forget that greatness. He gives us his word to read and hear over and over again, telling us about that great gift. And everything else that we have, all the blessings we think of this Thanksgiving, who do those all point back to? They point back to our great God, who then again points us to his greatest gift, adoption into David's family, the title of brother and sister of Christ. And when we understand and see this greatness of God once again, we can't help but follow David's lead now and say the same thing that he said. Thank you, God, for you are great. And don't try to hold your thanks back this Thanksgiving, but let it overflow. If you meet with family and friends tomorrow or whomever, tell them what your great God has done for you. Tell them, there is no one like him. There is no God like my God. A God so great who loves someone so small. I still look back on what I did at my high school graduation party with a lot of regret. But thankfully, that family friend showed me great love that day when she forgave me. And this Thanksgiving, if you think of some of those moments in your past where you felt that small, remember this. It's exactly in that smallness that God wants you to see his greatness. His greatness shown to us in the sacrifice of our Savior. So open your eyes. See God's greatness. And let's give him thanks. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Please stand. We continue by confessing together our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed, printed on page 10. 